Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Greenwashed. You're with me, Jaspreet, and my co-host, Don Nicholson. Our number for texting in is 2057, emails at inbox at the rate realitycheck.radio. Now, keen listeners might remember a few months ago, we had a guest zoom in from the US, Tom DeWeese, the president of the American Policy Center. And today we are honored to have with us the vice president of the American Policy Center, Kathleen Marquardt. And I am really thrilled, looking forward to this interview, not the least because I have nothing but the utmost admiration for someone who's been fighting for personal private property rights for nearly all her life. It's your first video is nearly three decades ago on the internet, Kathleen. So welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. And it's great to speak to people on the other side of the world. Isn't it? And isn't it amazing that we seem to be having, regardless of how geographically apart we are, the very same problems? Uh, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> and you were going to come to New Zealand about 30 years ago and live. Um, you know, you, you could, you're living the same stuff as we're living right now. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a very uh, wide remit today. So, yeah, what uh, what's driving um, your passion, Kathleen? I mean, clearly you're a freedom fighter and an activist, and um, yeah, it can take your whole life, as we know. It uh, it eats it eats into you, and you can't can't move on from it. So, the, what what is it that's actually driving you to be so tenacious? Um, well, it started out. I was just um, my my daughter came home from school and said and was in tears and she didn't want to go back to school. And finally, I got it out of her. Uh, she didn't want to go to school because the the teacher said that uh, that a speaker in her school came in and said I was a murderer because I hunted and I got into the animal rights fight back then and. It then I started working with people all over the country that were fighting the forest industry. You know, they were cutting down trees. Oh, that's horrible. Spiking trees. They were fighting all the things, fighting the fishermen, fighting the cattlemen. And so I realized it was all over freedom and the right to private property. And if you don't have the right to private property, you're a slave because you only own your thoughts. You don't even own your body. So I've been in this fight and I've been fighting it for, I guess, two reasons. One, because I believe in it and I was raised to believe that we should have freedom, that that we should be autonomous in our own beings. And because I have two children and now I have three grandchildren, so I'm much more in this fight because I want them to live in, I'd like them to live in the great America that I used to live in, but I I don't, but I'd like to see it come back. I don't think it will, but I want them to at least have the right to be free. So, so all the patriotism and, and the fighting by patriots over years and generations, you're feeling is um, 
under massive threat. It looks like that from my side of the world, but um, yeah, is that an understatement? <laughs> a massive threat? I'd say we're so close to being no longer free. I mean, we're people like you and me are where our stuff is being erased from from the net already you know they're closing us up we're being accused of being horrible evil and being against all these good things but here's here's the biggest thing that i just believe in freedom i believe in moral absolutes right is right and wrong is wrong when when my daughter was like 13 she was having trouble in school and and they had me go to this sociologist or someone and she says well the problem with your daughter is she sees things in black and white and i said well if it's gray that means it's got black in it right so she said oh the problem with your daughter is her mother <laughs> so you can see where I've been all my life. I And I know that the world is gray, but right now we're getting so dark gray, we can't, people, most people can't even see through it. Yeah, and uh, that language that your your daughters um, have been subjected through through their schooling and now your grandchildren likely, you sort of wonder um, how, how it got to be that way, that language matters and that the common sense that we thought was common now has a new tinge and a new meaning for these people that are influencing our children. So, you know, Jasper and I are aware of in the UK and it's spread to New Zealand and no doubt in the States, there's um, concepts called nudge units and you know, behavioral insights and the like. So this is where I think uh, maybe you have an opinion, perhaps I'll put it that way. You have an opinion on that? nudging that that whole concept is unbelievable it's bad enough that they try to tell us that we have to you know in the old days that was 30 years ago or so you could believe what you believed I can believe what I want to believe and they could believe what we want to believe and you could say so and you just say well I can well agree to disagree but nowadays if you aren't following the script, if you aren't following the ESG, the environmental, social, global stuff, and believing that uh, global warming, excuse me, it's now climate change since it didn't <laughs> warm, but global warming is destroying the earth. So if you start, if you're out there and you start talking about it, they're going to nudge you to start saying the right thing or shut up that's and i have a i'm one of those people that instead of just shutting up i get madder mm -hmm. yeah. and say <laughs> fantastic and so uh, i i noted in one of the uh, articles i read it's talk the talk about sitting with the devil and um it it's it's a line that I probably think we should keep in our minds because that's what it appears like uh, to me. Uh, and I never thought like this. I, I never realized I'd have to think like I am now 20 years ago, even though uh, I, and I sort of when I was the president of Fed Farmers in New Zealand, we had this concept called, you know, the, the prime, prime reason for us being was to maintain authority over property uh, for our members. 
and we just haven't done it. We just haven't done it. And in fact, it was dismissed from the um, lexicon of Fed Farmers at the time when I left. So it's it's a pretty sad day, isn't it, when uh, we are sitting with the devil, uh, the people that don't want to acknowledge property rights. So how how did it get so bad, Kathleen? It got so bad for one reason is because everybody was working hard and just trying to live their life. And I'll live, I'll do what I do and you do what you want to do and all will be well. But we didn't see all this stuff that was happening. And I used to feel a lot more guilty about not seeing it. But the more I study history and find out the truth about World War One, World War Two, you know, all the different things and what really happened then and what we read about are so different and what they have in the schools now. I mean, that they're erasing all our history. But what is what was really happening is they have erased our history for years and not just ours, yours too. Um, and and our children are not learning it. So our children are being brainwashed and we don't realize it. And our children are are being told all these lies and and like, you know, we shouldn't eat meat because for and they have a gazillion reasons, you know, meat is murder. Um, which is total hogwash, but they're they're being fed so many lies, and we haven't kept up because the parents you no longer allowed. You, they used to have the PTAs, Parent Teacher Association, but I'm sorry, but parents aren't allowed in those meetings anymore because the parents might know something that they're not supposed to know. So it's been. It's been in our education system, in our government, our government a lot longer than the education system, but even in our churches, it's everywhere. They're pushing all this garbage and and nobody's being awake. And now that people are finally waking up, they're either being threatened or bought out or, you know, just it's I, I have no idea all the things that are happening, but it's it's um, overwhelming. It is. And some of your earliest videos, you know, you speak about your background as a hunter and you've spoken about how much of this began under the guise of environmentalism, environmentalism being the new religion. And out here, a recent example is, uh, you know, we have a, a gulf, the Horaki Gulf around Auckland, the North uh, Island of New Zealand. And over time, over the last... I'd say a decade nearly, there have been noises being made. You know, we need to protect this. We need to do something. They've taken a, a large part of uh, many of Auckland's regional parks, moved them into this Gulf Forum, established a trust. Now they're talking of corridors through it. And suddenly, even the, you know, local fishing practices, it's not happened right now, but you know where this is going to go. In New Zealand, much of this is also very uh, and I have a grudging admiration for this, very admirably assisted by the fact that you can just divide a wedge saying indigenous practices and Western practices. Now, this is a country I emigrated to 15 years ago. To the outsider's eyes, as mine were then in 2009, it seemed an egalitarian society. Things seemed to be all right. You wouldn't believe the state of our country now. You just wouldn't believe. There has been, as I saw, 
and I thought that time, over a hundred years at least of peaceful coexistence, most people today will have heritage from Europe, from uh, you know all parts of the world, Asia, most continents, and they might have a bit of the indigenous in them. But suddenly, we now have a race-based healthcare system. So people are identifying as what will give them priority. The same thing is happening in our regional parks. Suddenly, you cannot get permission for anything unless the treaty that was signed in 1840s between the Crown that time and the local Maoris is honored. There's no principles to it, but you have the average person being made to shut up, be quiet, because you don't want to be seen out as a racist. Do you see similar tactics out at your end of the world where you are, you know, suddenly everything is racist? <laughs> you haven't been watching our country <laughs> all apart. You know, this is so incredible is racism. They go, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so incredible how they have made Black Lives Matter. The We didn't have racial problems. We have very few racial problems up until they decided, okay, we're going to have Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, anybody... Anybody who isn't white is okay. Now, if you're white, oh, if you're a white male, go dig a hole and bury yourself because you don't you don't count anymore. This is we're just we're so overwhelmed with that. But that's one of the things. It's a divide and conquer. It's divide and conquer. That do you think that? All these people that are being allowed things now. I mean, one of the big things that they're doing, and maybe they're doing it there, but I don't know about, but they keep adding more people, all of the people that are coming over our borders illegally. They get $3,000 immediately. They get paid. They get their food. They get put in big hotel rooms for free. I mean, it is incredible, but what what they're and that's a combination of like I say, everything has is layered. Part of that is so it can bankrupt America. Well, we're already bankrupt, but they're still printing money just for the fun of it. But what it is is to divide and conquer us, to make us hate the other person, to make us not, you know, and and we've never been like that. Well, we maybe we were in the early days, and even then, I don't. America wasn't like that. Most of the people that signed signed the Constitution wanted a slavery free, but I think it was two or three states didn't, so they didn't put that in there. But it came later. But the whole thing is, we've worked together, lived together. So many. I know. I live in Tennessee now, so. I meet many, many families that are interracial and nobody cares, nobody knows except those that don't, that don't, that want to separate us in order to do the evil they're trying to do, which is destroy us. So, so it, Jasper and I both have family in California near San Francisco. Um, and it seems that they don't um, quite know how to, cope with what's going on they see it but they don't know uh if they've got any influence or ability to stop it uh, my brother often talks about how these illegals uh crossing the border um uh, the attempt to get them voting is part of the game 
Do you think that's, is that real? And and second point, uh, just can you just give us a wee bit of a genesis of Black Lives Matter and the people behind it? Because so two questions in there. Okay. So let me start with the second one. Black mm. Lives Matter <clears throat> was not, I believe, it was set up by non, mostly non-Black people. It was a Soros-based thing. The Sunshine Group, I believe they're called, set it up to be this faction, just, you know, like, like Antifa. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tool. They're all tools to be used against us. Everything is a tool. As far as California, you say you have somebody in San Francisco? Mm, just a lot of it. I was living there. And I have to tell you, um, it was very, very liberal back then. But now, I mean, they have they have stores in California that people are allowed to raid. They've raided them and stole three hundred thousand dollars in one fat, rich store on one day. And in one store that I read about, that two of the employees were trying to stop this shoplifter, and they were fired. You're not allowed. It's like like remember when I said moral absolute mm. there's right and there's wrong well today in america wrong is right and right needs to be buried so that's what's going on and california is leading the pack um when i lived there people did poop on the streets but it wasn't legal but now they pay people $80,000 a year to clean up poop on the streets because now they tell people, see, they're trying to destroy California. California was the breadbasket of America. And California fed the could feed the world back then. Now it's all being destroyed with environmental rules for a kangaroo rat or Delta smelt. It's the the problem is to cover this issue we would have to talk for about the next 17 hours <laughs> yeah it's 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 just not with you either actually sadly the 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 west is eating itself up and we see it you see it um and it's a sad job to just keep talking about it i suppose but um yeah the black lives matter stuff that that hit uh, minneapolis i think was uh, the, the 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 nerve center of it that sort of all of a sudden built into our country as well. And we had we had our sports team taking a knee. I'd never even heard what taking a knee was <laughs> until then. I mean, that's how naive I am. And uh and it's it's just it's just eating us up. We just I, don't need it. I can't believe when they do that. And you know, coming from an army officer's daughter's background, for me it is simply disrespecting your flag. But that's what it is. It's to destroy the meaning of your flag, the meaning of what your country was built on. This is literally, they call it deconstruction. It's destruction. It's Marxism. They're trying to destroy everything that is good in the world so they can control it. The problem is when everything collapses, I don't know if they really have another planet to fly to but they're destroying this whole planet and who's going to take care of them because they don't know how to take care of the, all these leaders the, klaus schwab and uh, all the rest of them who's gonna who's gonna, they're 
I don't see anybody going to take care of the useful idiots that they're going to use until they get robots that can do it. Mm. I, 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 myself, I mean, your flag, regardless of which country you are in, I think for most places is where, isn't which a body of someone who's, you know, fallen, a fallen soldier comes wrapped in. How the hell do you take a knee at that? I have never understood. I'm someone who's taken on New Zealand citizenship, so India doesn't allow dual citizenship. But if I see an Indian flag or any flag of any country, you stand up. You don't do this. And that's, that's right. just the way I've been raised. But go going back to now the environmentalism, we in New Zealand are seeing an absolute dizzying rise of renewable energy. Don has worked in the power sector, so he's far more of an expert than I am. But right now, what they're doing is bankrupting us here. And we are already a bankrupt country, just like most of the West, for absolutely nothing tangible to show for it. California, again, seems to be in the forefront of this, doesn't it? You but they're sort of the poster boys for what they're trying to do since, since they have so much, they've had so much going on there. And Hollywood is a big, a big part of it because Hollywood makes movies and, you know, they make movies that show that are programming the people to believe certain things. They're paid to make movies to support Black Lives Matter or Antifa or, mm. or environmentalism, you know, the, the, the environmentalists that, uh, that they don't care. I mean, they basically said, we don't care what the facts are as long as we get what we want. Unreal. Unreal. Well, look, it's, uh, it's sad, isn't it? Um, New Zealand's saying to its people that, oh, to get to net zero by 2050, it'll cost $42 billion. But we have a Cambridge, and sorry, Jasprit, I called uh, Michael Kelly from Oxford the other day. He's from Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, um, right. uh, he's saying $550 billion. Australia yesterday talked about their net uh, 2050 targets, and they've got more coal generation than New Zealand because uh, we're 85% renewable already, but they're talking $9 trillion. And then on a um, show recently, I saw John Kerry debating with a senator saying that uh, we need to carbon capture and store. And the senator put, him, put it on John Kerry that uh, to do what he wanted at the volume he wanted and at the current price of the CO2, which is a nonsense in itself, uh, would cost $1.6 quadrillion. That's right. Now, now you've already got, uh, I think, public debt of thirty trillion. Uh, these numbers, I just they just roll off people's tongues. I mean, Kerry thinks it's okay. Your your as the Secretary of State, he thinks it's um, or, or some name like that, some title. He thinks it's okay, and he says he said, "Oh, the senator's being disingenuous," or words to the effect. Well, sorry, these numbers just roll roll off the tongue of these people as if nothing matters, and. We do just keep printing money. When does that sort of has to have to stop? Because that's going to be that's going to be the end game here. The the would you suggest the corporate elites are going to swallow everything they can while it's being devalued? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think it's going to end when they decide it's going to end. Because look, America, the U.S. is pr printing money for 
We have nothing to back it up, and we've had nothing to back our money since Nixon, which was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So it's going to crash, but they're going to decide when, because it should have crashed, I don't know, several years ago, at least, with with how much money we really have left. But it's, it's, you know, this net zero, do you know how much carbon is is in our atmosphere, what the percentage is? Zero point is zero four percent. We need carbon for the photosynthesis in order for plants to grow. What are we going to eat for just to live? We need it, but they want to take it out of the atmosphere. And yeah. and what and th- and this is a twofold thing. It's to bankrupt us. It's maybe threefold. It's to take away private property because this carbon. F- pipeline did did you talk about it with tom should i um, no we didn't please expand on it okay this carbon pipeline runs through i forget how many states five or six or seven and they have they dig down i think five feet they take away all the topsoil and then and then they're going to put this pipeline in to take it to a state and they're going to pump it and they're going to uh put it in caves and things that are underground um but it's it's all a farce because all of the all of their papers that they have on it it really isn't going to work but it's going to work to do what they want to do is to take private property and destroy the ground that you can plant crops in or raise cattle on um and i mean they've had they they've had people they had surveyors that walked into this man's house this man's house uh-huh. because that he didn't want them on his property and this guy walks right into their house as if and the guy says well we're going to take your property and it's it's this is one of the biggest boondoggles stupid stupid things that cannot ever be done and i'm sure they know it can't be done and they've already spent billions and billions on it and it's going nowhere but it's doing two things it's like i say destroying the land destroying people's property rights and bankrupting us so what else do they want well it, it certainly doesn't pass the the decency test and, and the common sense test it's interesting about 2008 probably i was asked Uh, my knowledge of carbon capture and storage and i said yeah well i do it every day i'm producing animals and um you know it's yeah. uh it's in the meat and milk and uh and it's sequestered in my trees and all sorts of stuff and i said co2 great to have uh, more of it please and this lady never bothered to interview me again um and she still runs a website uh on on uh climate alarmism so you just realize the stupidity of their agenda but you know <laughs> In New Zealand, we're being tied up in knots over the farmers are over, over methane and nitrous oxide emissions. Uh, I don't think it's quite happened to you yet, although John Kerry again is talking about we've got to get rid of the beef, we've got to get rid of those those lemon beef cows. But we've got uh, scientists like William Happer and William Van Weingarten and Co and Coonan and Lindzen and many others talking about the irrelevancy of some of this stuff, and of course. Um, you quote Happer in one of your papers uh, with regard to the discussion of the global methane hub. 
But Harper in 2019 wrote proposals to place harsh harsh restrictions on methane emissions because of warming fears are not justified by the facts. And they highlight there that um, the net forcing increase of CH4 and CO2 increases about 0.05 watts per square metre per year. All other things being equal, this would cause a temperature increase of about 0.012 centigrade a year. So we've got all this knowledge and the argument is, oh, that 2019 paper wasn't peer reviewed. Well, they've done papers in 22 that are peer reviewed. Um, but why is it that uh, revered scientists are all of a sudden um, pilloried or ignored? Because we can't even get our pharma lobby groups in New Zealand to acknowledge these guys. We had Dr. Tom Sheehan in New Zealand recently, who all he did was really talk about the Harper and Van Wingarden and, and other papers. And the media in New Zealand ignored us 100%, barring a little local paper. Um, mainstream certainly ignored us. Secondly, um, uh, the organisations that are purported and expected to represent farmers ignored them. The co-op leadership, the boards of all the major co-ops, and we have one called Fonterra, which is the largest um, cross-border trader of milk products in the world, um, ignored them. And we're about, we've got these bodies, sorry, this is a long statement, we've got these bodies attempting or, or almost salivating, it seems, at the prospect of putting a tax on themselves as world, it'll be a world first, an organisation saying, or, or an industry saying, we want you to tax us. That's what they're saying. And in New Zealand farmers, we've now got some farmers saying, that's okay. Um, as it's far as the leaders go, one, they are either threatened, blackmailed, or bought out. I mean, stupid doesn't Stupid doesn't come into it. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure stupid does. Uh, I'm sorry, stupid sure comes in on the lower end, but you know, in in, in the carbon pipeline, one of we had this governor, I think South Dakota. Um, her name was Governor Nomi, and she was all against it and everything. And she has her legislature ready to squash it, and she won't accept the bill now. Now you have to ask, gee, what happened? So she either got bought off, threatened, or threatened with blackmail. So this is what is going on. And mainstream media, you know, they're, they're doing this dis and misinformation stuff. If you put out misinformation, they're going to erase it. And, and so um, we're being erased every day we you put out something that is the truth that that has the truth behind it and you can have all the papers in the world you want but it isn't going to show up several years ago you could go on the internet and find every article there was everywhere on both sides now you get I, I mean, I have dug to the, used to be, you'd never get to the end. If you were looking for a subject, I'd go through 80, 90 scrolls and never get to the end because everything was there. Now you might go through 30, 40 things on one subject and it it's all has its slant. It is not my slant. And that's it. We're, mm -hmm. we're being erased. We're being erased from 
everything out there. So, so do you think that state governor is being threatened with uh, less, aside from what you've just said, do you think the threat of debanking is part of it? You, know, you just won't get funding for your state if you don't tick these boxes? I have no idea what what got her, but let me tell you, she's been got. got she's, longer, she's no longer on our side. Yeah. And it's hard to believe. Kirsty Noem, I remember following her from here. Last year, yeah. she was elected with, the, I believe, the highest ever margin in South Dakota. She's a rancher herself. And uh, what is that conservatives conference that all these guys go to? I'm forgetting the name, but I remember her speech there. Yes. Why, do, uh, uh, why did you have to ask me? Yeah. I it. Yeah, no, no, that's that's fine. But, I but she's yes, she was fantastic. And mm. now it's Nothing. so it's it's scary. It's scary. But so, so what does Nirvana look like for these um globalists? Uh, what do you think Nirvana looks like? I think you have explained it, but let's just sort of try and nail it right down to to where it ends. You really want me to say, I mean, if you look at what what went on at Davos and and remember when they built that big accelerator under the underground Excel mm -hmm. and they had all that coming out and they had all these weird people all dressed weirdly doing all of these mystic dancing and everything to introduce it. And it. At Davos, you hear about all the high-paid call girls and probably call, call boys, and <laughs> they have all these fancy meals. I mean, I think they're really dissolute people, and and I just and 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 you have to remember um, Jeffrey, what's his name's island, you know, Epstein. Yes, and all these people were flying to it. I mean, you look at all these. I, I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but this is you asked me a question I've never been asked before. But this is how they act, and 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 you have Yuri. Um, yeah, Harari, that one. Yeah, oh. he's saying you know that we're going to we're their technocracy is such a big thing now, and we're going to be half robots where you know they're going to control our minds and everything i just i'm glad i'm older yeah well like i i've i've used this term on the show several times called neo-feudalism but last week uh we had a guest who talked at uh he talked of techno-feudalism and i think he's more accurate than than me so um that's a phrase that we probably need to unbundle a bit better but you know so, so moving on um, for a little bit more onto the city planning and uh, the the controls around fifteen minute cities and and you've written about this stuff. I mean, I've I've just shared with um, Jasper a um, song from nineteen sixty two uh, from a lady called um, Let me get this Malvina Reynolds, and it was called Little Boxes on the Hillside, Little Boxes Made of Ticky Tacky. And it goes on to talk to, to there's three or four verses. The second one, and all the people in the houses all went to university where they were all put in boxes and they came out all the same, the doctors and lawyers. And it goes on like that. Now, this was 1962. And this lady or the person who wrote the lyrics seemed to be on the money. 
Uh, and of course, I have been to San Francisco and I do see the little boxes on the hillsides. Um, so they weren't made of ticky-tacky, but they probably weren't made that that well. But now we've got high-rise uh, ticky-tack um, uh, condos and, and the like, Expect sorry, not condos, um, tenement buildings around the world. Things have evolved. What's what's the fear? I mean, theoretically, there's a lot of young people like the idea of living in um, uh, close confine, confines and having everything at their beck and call. I mean, you don't need to go out and have exercise. You'll have a gym in the basement and you'll just go down there and um, that'll be it. You won't need to go out and get fresh air. It'll all be great. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, um, yes, I think they... Her poem was so fantastic because I, I have a very good friend that has um, a Patriots organization out in California. Well, now he's in, in Arizona, um, had two children that he raised absolutely perfectly. They, I mean, they built his website, everything. One now works for, I forget whether it's, Facebook or Alphabet or whatever, um, send your kids to college and I guarantee you, you'll, unless you've really, really, really done your job, they're going to be, end up being the people that are wanting to live in 15 minute cities. And, and what people don't understand about why they want you in the city, besides the city has all the things like the lights, your refrigerator, your stove, the smart meter, everything to to control you and to watch everything you do. And the main purpose, in my humble opinion, of putting people into these cities is so they can totally control you, not just you can't go beyond where you can walk or ride a bike 15 minutes but where you can't go visit your relatives in another state or anything without permission. And you, you know, and if you're like me and you don't want to use the smart cards and all that stuff, you're not going anywhere, but it's to control you so that when they decide to shut things down, all they have to do is turn off the power and the water and the, and the um, food supply, food supply and mm -hmm. You're gone. And and what is what amazes me is why people do, in in 19, I forget, 62 or 60 something, um, Alexander Gutenhoff wrote a book, The Ideal Communist City. And if you read it, it's a smart city. It's a 15 minute city. It has everything that that they've been planning since then. It was written by the by the communists when they took over east germany how they were going to build the buildings in east germany the stores and groceries and restaurants on the first floor then you live on the next floors and then you work up above and there's a green space over here and you know uh, there's and, a vertical garden somewhere and they make you feel oh it is so you are surrounded by nature I, I see the same nonsense around here. You are, you've got a perfectly lovely piece of wilderness and there will be garish colors of slides, parks. Suddenly they want to tame it, putting pathways and all sorts of safety, all sorts of safety, uh, you know, gear there, high vis this and this and that. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? 
we have had the similar things you know happening in new zealand but it's the point is they use different terminology don't they what's a smart city what's a 15 minute city what's a clean uh, safe street what's a quiet street what's a london's ulez the ultra low emission zone and people we have i think times are hard the cost of living is gone through the roof covid has not been kind over the last 3 years you've had you know the social fab- fabric of the world torn apart and people can just barely afford to put food on the table and a roof over their family's heads who has time to go down these paths it it gets and it's it's hard to get it's easy to get i should say overwhelmed because some days you don't know which enemy you are fighting and this is one thing i want to ask you kathleen how have you managed to keep up this enthusiasm for well over three decades we were trying to get to you a few days earlier but as your email came you said i was out at a meeting with patriots in tennessee and i'm sorry i missed your email how do you still keep going after all of this i can tell you at 44 i feel pretty jaded already yeah, you, what is the last sentence you said i said at 44 i feel pretty jaded already how have you managed <laughs> to keep this enthusiasm up all this time because i believe in moral absolutes as i said the right mm-hmm. is right and wrong is wrong and i have children and grandchildren but the biggest i think it isn't how i done it but you can't allow them to scare you 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 if if you allow fear into your mind you're destroying your ability to think and yes so every once in a while i do that and you know but i just i have such i guess it's because i re- was raised by grandparents that said you know america is the greatest country on the earth and we believe in these certain things and and the american constitution pretty much says it for me you know the right to free speech the right to religion all these things and and the america i grew up in you could work for something that you wanted to work for and you weren't working to put illegal aliens in in a high rise hotel in new york that you couldn't even afford to go to if you had to i mean i i just you have to keep your sanity and that isn't always easy but i've tried to do it i make jokes about things and people think oh wow she's joking about that well if you don't laugh if you're going to crying is a lot harder to come back from than laughing so mm-hmm. that's how i do it but wait i just as an aside was rosa cory uh uh any uh, uh was she an influencer in your life and who are the other influencers in your life uh on this sort of stuff well rosa came in near the yeah, rosa didn't come in till quite late compared to when tom and i were uh, put, yeah, but rosa could sum things up like nobody else she could sum the whole thing up in a 15 minute speech that Tom and I would give an hour and a half you know i mean and I, and i loved rosa she was great and what was great about her is that she was a liberal she was a democrat she was a lesbian and yet 
she fought all this. And so they all hated her because she was supposed to be one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry she's gone. But yeah, Rosa was my, I think I was influenced. I, when I started out, I had no idea what I was getting into. I literally had no idea. And um, when I and my husband, some somebody asked me to give a speech, and I said to my husband, "I can't give a speech. I'm I'm this reclusive mother." And and he said, "Well, if you don't have a give a speech, we're going to have to shut the organization down." I had an organization called Putting People First, and I said, "But they've sent me threatening letters. That they if I shut it down because I can't speak, they'll think I shut it down because they threatened me. There's no way that's going to happen." So. You know, I had to learn, and I was very fortunate to run into people that were fighting on all the environmental issues, and they accepted me in, not realizing it was all together. And a guy named Ron Arnold was one of the the great um, people. He's written a number of books. He's he's no longer with us. Um, I would say he was one and Dr. Dixie Lee Ray. Did you ever hear about her? She was, she was a, um, I don't think she was an astro. No, she wasn't an astrophysicist. She was an oceanographer and she headed up the um, first commission for, Anyway, she was also governor of of Washington State, and she was she went down to the 1992 Rio summit, and we were having a meeting, and she would call us every night and tell us what they were saying. And then when the Brundtland Commission was writing their big report, this was back before the internet, so somebody was sending us faxes every night, and I was one of the four people that was allowed to get them and he was sending them from Norway and those were mm, the people that have really been influential so and a guy from Tennessee (laughs) oh yeah yeah. funny that (laughs) funny that no Uh, uh, for listeners the the reports that uh, Kathleen just referred to, the Brundtland report, the Rio summit, this is all going back to the big daddy that we all, Don and I often speak about, United Nations, right from the very genesis. And would you believe, uh, Kathleen, we have 120 people in our parliament in New Zealand. We call it the Beehive. I've often thought it's very aptly called the Beehive, that building. Uh, or could, we could call it the honest nest, we should see. But not one. Not one politician, be it from, you know, the sitting Labour or the opposition, has ever stood up and called out the United Nations. Hey, you're talking about a governor. You have other places where people have called that out. Across the ditch in Australia, we have half a dozen fine senators calling this out. New Zealand considers it's a conspiracy theory. And yet we are the poster child. We are the foremost lab rats, the best lab rats the United Nations has ever had, because, you know, small, isolated, geographically isolated country at the bottom of the world, relatively pliant population, haven't had a war for a while. I'm not glorifying war, but we've been at peace for a long time. So, you know, 
what's a bit of agenda 2030 between friends. We've had our last PM, Jacinda Ardern, speak at the Goalkeepers Conference in New York in 2017 and say that her government will do something no other country has tried. And uh, to sort of paraphrase, I can't remember the exact quote, we will be putting the Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals into our ready legislation. And boy, have we delivered. We use the UNDRIP, which is the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, to use divide and rule. We have a whole lot of bureaucrats right now justifying their existence, absolutely not caring about how they're destroying the social fabric of the society. We talk about well-being and being kind and all of those nice words. But the average Kiwi right now is really struggling. We are amongst, I believe, just one or two of the Asian Oceania economies that are in a recession. Our milk payout dropped twice over the last month. And, you know, we trade that's uh, primary products are our biggest export. Last year, they were 82% of our exports. And we've got farmers struggling. No one speaks out. And yet you would think Dawn headed this fine organization called Federated Farmers, that someone would speak up about what's happening. It's all a conspiracy of silence. And as I call it, an epidemic of spinelessness. But we're building back better, uh, supposedly. <laughs> um, I call it uh, building back better badly. Um, it is. It is. A, it's, it's all that Jasprey's talking about. It is a bit. It, it's really bad here. But a, uh, we shouldn't be so negative about. Um, yeah, we've got to uh, try and beat this. That's the game. Um, how do we? Well, I shouldn't call it a game. That's the ambition. I've uh, got to knock the stuff back into shape. And uh, sadly, we've taken. We had major reforms here. Sorry, and I know New Zealand, we're talking about New Zealand. We should be talking about the United States. Um, New Zealand reformed itself in 1985 from close to near bankruptcy. And so we had 50 years uh, or almost, oh, oh, sorry, that's not right, 35 years of what the left always called these neo-market um, conditions. Well, it might have been a bit tough for people like me in the 80s, but actually, in the end, it was working okay. And the last six years, we've just had all those uh, reforms. And the, yeah, the devaluation of this country has been massive. And I observe it in the States as well. You know, I just, I do observe it from afar. Uh, but I don't think your farmers are as um, out of touch with things as perhaps we seem to be here. Um, I would... I don't know what percentage of the farmers are out of touch. I think because of people like Tom and me and other people that have spoken all over the country for 30 some years, there are a lot of farmers that are far more awake. And and a big part of it, I would go talk to people. And, and like I say, I started out fighting animal rights. And I would explain to them how they were using a fight for an rights for animals to attack humans. And the people would say, and I would explain it all. And they'd say, oh, I never thought of that. Um, and, and a lot of people would say, 
oh, I feel just like you do, but I never knew how to put it into words because we never had to put it into words. We didn't have to put into words that I eat meat and drink milk and wear leather full. You know, we didn't have to because it was everybody realized not only was it natural, everybody does it, everybody eats and, you know, drinks and all, but it's also we never had were in, in where once there's sides you you could believe people can be vegetarians and and they wouldn't fight with you over eating meat but now you're evil if you do so it's 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 people have to be we have to lead them we have to nudge them but not nudge them the way they do we have to explain to them what is really happening and it's hard and um, one of the things i come up against is people say oh it's just too hard to understand i i love what you're doing you go do it but i can't i can't be bothered and you know and at first you get a little irritated but eventually you realize what we have to do is we have to take our countries back but it has to be on the local level in each town, in each city. And then you try to get the county. You got to whatever. I don't know how you divide up your country, but, you know, we have to take it back from the bottom up. We let it happen. And they that's how they did it from the bottom up. And now we have to. Yeah, it's interesting. I know Jaspreet's a counsellor and uh, everything she reads, because I read some of the stuff, I humiliate myself enough to read it as well. It's got the United Nations agenda stuff all through it. The main parliament in the country denies it exists, even though it's through our legislation. And uh, the local councils have been seduced into applying it at every uh, opportunity. So winding that back is a matter of... Um, getting count, people that stand for councils to understand that they have been uh, played. Uh, but I don't see a great willingness to front that here, uh, apart from people like Jaspreet. Um, so let's just move on a little bit more. You, you're up to uh, next year having a presidential election. We're up to having our election in the next six, eight weeks. Wow. And and I read of uh, the agenda of... Um, Klaus and Antonio and his and their mates are talking about how with AI you will not need to have uh, sovereign country elections. It'll be a borderless world, and AI will be able to predict predict what the outcome would be. If that's not a massive red flag for all humanity, what will it what will it take? What will it take? to knock this back into its um, rightful place. And do we have to round these people up and put them into a, a desert island, a deserted <laughs> island, sorry, a deserted <laughs> island, not a desert? Um, yeah, because it's 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 quite it's quite damning if society is prepared to let that sort of rhetoric, because he has said that. I mean, I've, I've heard it on, um, on a Sky News um, playback. Um, if, that, if that's allowed to gain traction... Surely people are going to wise, wise up, surely. If they had said that 20 years ago, yes. But think about it. It's, it's incrementalism. They, they've 
they keep doing a little more and a little more. And it's just, you know, the alligators back there and there's not too many people behind you anymore that can get eaten before it's your turn. It's, yeah. They, this has been incrementalism. And this is why that it now I have to say now people are waking up, but it's like, I want to say it's too darn late and it, and it's too darn late in many ways because this country is going to financially go to hell. I mean, seriously, but if they wake up, at least we can, and we can start taking, taking our country back a little bit by a little bit, as I said, but it's, it's, you know, Tom and I have been screaming this for 30 years yes. and I have to tell you, and it's, it's frustrating, but all you can, uh, you know, and people are waking up. I went to this meeting on Saturday and there's all these younger people, which was wonderful because I, you know, I give speeches all over and many, many, many times Everybody was older. It's the older people that went to school and were brainwashed that get it. But so it's hard to get through to the people that have been in the schools and have been taught moral relativity. And and so it's just a matter of finding, you know, even if you only find one person when you give a speech, one person that wakes up, that person can then go ahead and start talking. So we can't we can't be discouraged. We what we don't have a choice. Literally, never, we don't never give up. One thing we haven't talked about in this interview, and it just um, uh, dawned on me then, was uh, when we were talking about elections and 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 how the left and right are playing games. But you know, in, in the middle, there's nothing seems to be hitting the mark um is the influence of the big fund managers and of course you have three of them that are huge in the scheme of things um what what influence are they having over every investment every major corporation uh and even the elections what are they having uh, is there any any uh influences there um yeah, of course, of course, you know, they're, but they're all part, look who goes to Davos, I mean, they're there, so they're put in there just to do what they need to do, but what is interesting is some of those big guys are backing out of the ESG, you know, that they're uh -huh. backing out of it, they're discovering, how do we tell our investors, you just lost 48% of your stock value because we were promoting wokeness. Uh -huh. So, but, and, and every little bit helps. And, and so as long as we can, I mean, you look at, I don't, I'm sure you saw the Bud Light. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. The beer fiasco. Yep. Disney. yeah so it, it's happening and every time something like this happens it helps people wake up they're going yeah. oh well i never thought of that well no because you never thought but it, once they get to start thinking that's when we can get them yeah and i also think your your mailers out from the american policy policy center are great I think I get about one once a week. 
And the recent one that came a few days ago, it was about uh, the headlines, the way that email is uh, sort of uh, formatted. You have blocking at the sun, the latest idiocy from Bill Gates banning shortfall flights, uh, party poopers, LA canceling fireworks. And this one actually got me thinking, restrictions on ice cubes. So the emailer says, you see, it takes energy to make ice cubes. So the drive is on to end unsustainable ice cubes. The Scientific American says it needs a lot of water to make Manhattans and margaritas. And I was looking at this. I said, are you having me on? So I went through the link to the Scientific American and blow me down. They are actually <laughs> talking about the fact that even a moderately busy bar requires about 200 pounds of ice. And it is the most critical element of, uh, you know, bar. And how much are they using per night, according to Todd Bell? Senior Energy Analyst as Efficiency Energy Consulting Room. You look at this sort of stuff and you send it to people and suddenly you get even the most, you know, head under in the sand, wake up and take notice. But it's amazing. This is what America has come to. I mean, it is summer for you guys there. And are you actually being, <laughs> you are not allowed to chill your drinks anymore? How about this? That guy that figured it out, how much is he getting paid? Getting paid. <laughs> I mean, seriously, somebody's getting paid to figure out how much it costs to make ice for a bar. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, and, and and in the UK they were short of um, carbon dioxide, and I think even we were in New Zealand for a bit um, through the mm -hmm. lockdown periods. Uh, CO two was in short supply. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I, there's one quote I've used often in you know. The last few years, and this is by, and I'm going to butcher his name, the uh, literature a Nobel Prize winner for 1970, the Russian Alexander Sholzhenitsyn, and I probably butchered it, but he said, um, he also wrote the Gulag uh, series. Archipelago. Yep, that one. And he said, we know they are lying. They, they know they are lying. They know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying, but they still continue. They still keep on lying. And that's where we are right now, isn't it? Constantly. That's and that's why Dawn and I keep saying you have to humiliate this lot. Because otherwise, you know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry and you have to humiliate. And boy, do I enjoy myself doing this. Yep. I'm going to use that quote. I, thought, I, I remember that and I love that book. And that was probably one of the last decent people that won the Nobel Prize. I mean, yes. Yes. He couldn't win it today. He would be he wouldn't even be considered a viable contestant today. No, you now need uh, Greta Thunberg and the like now and to be, you know, the four forerunners for those sort of prizes and you would do, you do. <laughs> hey, one thing we haven't uh, touched on um and that is starting to to bug me is about the truth uh, or something screwy that's gone on, and it's sad in, in Hawaii and at Maui. Uh, something seems to be a bit off with the output there. And have you got any indication that it is? Because from the other side of the world, it just seems that there's a bit of information missing. A bit of information. Um, and And here I'm not as knowledgeable about everything, but as... I several years ago, I was asked by a professional journal to write a story on the 
fires in Northern California that they were having. And there was that incident of how these houses could burn down, but the trees are still standing. You know, it was amazing what you saw. Well, in in Hawaii, you see the houses are burning down, the trees are still standing, but the cars are burning. Metal is burning and, and melting down. And you have to say, um, oh, and somebody had said that it was a um, fireball hurricane. Did you read mm-hmm. that? Yep. That was, I mean, fireball. I mean, okay. How has everyone, has anyone ever seen a hurricane be made out of fire right. instead of water? I mean, and we're supposed to believe these things. And like, I, I told you that I had just gotten that book on the fire that was written, what, a day before the fire started? Um, yeah, so, I saw the hard copy in your hand. Listeners, we are talking across Zoom, so, you know, you only listen to the audio, but we are all looking at each other. And Kathleen has a hard copy of that book, probably written by AI or something, or who knows what. Ed, is that you or me? That's probably yours. Please. No problem there. And, you know, Don, you, I think I sent you a message because suddenly in my Kindle reader, a whole lot of these top books on Hawaii popped up. And I was like, what is happening here? Well, you're you're better read than I am, Jaspreet. I have none of that happening to me. (laughs) (laughs) And and you think about it, you know, I've read a lot about... um, how they control the weather, how the governments are controlling the weather and all. But to make these wildfires happening yeah. is, is uh, it makes you believe that, yes, they are, that the government is doing this because how else could these things happen? How else could they happen? I mean, uh, uh, climate, this, the only way is if climate really changed and climate changed so that instead of having wet hurricanes, you now have have fire spitting hurricanes. If you have, if you turn everything upside down, like they talk about the, all these, um, the polar ice is melting. Uh, and when, if we end up having a new Greenland up in Iceland, up in mm. the pole, you know, all these weird things that, you know, I, I'm speechless. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I am, you know, it's not like it's something new. The Americans uh, under Operation Popeye, they spoke about this in the Vietnam War that how they increased the length of uh, the Vietnamese monsoon from three months to six months, because they said, you know, we'll make mud, not war, and hopefully end the war with less casualties that way. So who knows what those geniuses are doing half a century later. The Harvard solar engineering program called SCOPEX, the stratospheric controlled perturbation experiment, talks about similar things. But it's just like we were talking about, you know, Smart cities and Euless and quiet streets. There's different names. And suddenly, if you don't use Copex, you use another terminology. Oh, you're venturing into conspiracy, uh, you know, 
that side of things but it's it's all around us we see it and if there's one thing i've learned in this last you know few years it is like never say never i never completely disregard anything it's like i keep a really open mind you know really open mind if you don't you're going to go crazy yeah you yeah. guys are great you this this has been one of the most enjoyable interviews i've had thank you thank you so much kathleen for ha- having you know taking the time out i so appreciate it and more than that my utmost respect for someone who can carry on with this crusade for as long as you and tom have i certainly think america would be far deeper in the doodoo without the american policy center i don't exactly we're and we're in your debt i mean we we have a couple of institutions like yours in new zealand and some in australia but yeah we need lots more of them and um all pat your arm and may you um may you have a uh a good rest of this year and a good lead up into 2024 presidential elections i'll be watching oh, with interest <laughs> into that but thank you thank you so much and again thank you for having me on i've so enjoyed it our pleasure bye-bye kathleen bye-bye jaspreet boparai and don nicholson with greenwashed on rcr reality check radio